Welcome to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. In this episode, I talk to Linus Pozekis, co-founder and CEO of WOW, a company selling long-range electric bikes. Headquartered in Birmingham, WOW was set up in 2018 after Linus and his team conducted extensive market research among avid cyclists to find out what makes the perfect electric bike. Today's WOW bikes, the company says, combine effortless repair with a 100-mile range between charges. WOW keeps prices down by avoiding high street markup, going direct to consumers. Starting from a garage in Nottingham, Linus now runs from a sizeable manufacturing plant, but the journey's been challenging to say the least. To get the business up and running, he and other founders invested their savings, worked 100-hour weeks and slept on the factory floor. Linus, it's great to have you here on Money Talks. You came to the UK from Lithuania as a kid. You've become a businessman, an entrepreneur. Why electric bikes? Essentially, the long story short is because a lot of large EVs get a lot of attention. So they look sexy. People are proud to have them. Either they're Lucid, Tesla, Rivian. But if someone wanted to have an alternative equally as appealing and tech heavy, uh, there's no alternative from four wheels to two wheels. So that's why we opened well. Your bikes are very beautiful, if I may say. So you, you call them vehicles, yeah. beautifully designed, high performance, very much an upmarket uh, price range, if you like. When did the company start and how are sales getting on? Uh, originally, we started in 2018. Uh, the first two years were very heavy in research and development. So getting all the documentation, the manufacturing tools, and then shifting the um, Shanghai plant to Essex. So now we all manufacture here. And sales-wise, normally it sells out in the, in the first month or so when we release a new batch. And then essentially what Tesla has won, uh, most of the customers are in the pre-order phase. So when you place an order, you go into a queue of pre-orders and then we try to catch up to fulfill. So meeting the demand is one of the biggest challenges we have. What made you move the manufacturing from Shanghai to Essex? Most people would think, surely yeah, 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 you would, everyone's yeah. moving manufacturing in the other direction. We're small EV, we're micro EV. So the development that we have to do uh, takes place quite quickly. So it's much easier to go to Essex, speak to the engineers and implement something into the production line the same day then fly to Shanghai and then you have to, it's a different culture, you have to speak Mandarin and it's a much longer process. Now that we're made in Essex, customers get a much better product, much faster. How's it been in terms of finding the right people to implement your vision here in the UK in terms of engineers? A lot of British yeah. people, they're a bit down on, you know, we used to be the workshop of the world. Yeah. Manufacturing's useless. Actually, we are a top 10 global manufacturer still as you well know, and you are adding to that manufacturing heritage. Could you find the right people in terms of skills? Could you find the right people in terms of youngsters with the determination and grit to help you implement your business plan? You described it very well. That's the reason why we moved also from Nottingham to Birmingham, because the talent pool is a little much larger. But we're hired daily. So the volume of people, we keep hiring more and more. And I think because there's not that much competition in manufacturing, you get people that are very hungry, that want to make an impact. And they, if they know they're part of a tech company that's growing really quickly, they, they generally get really excited to join. Mm -hmm. 
but there's not that much competition. So for them, for them, we are one of the very few that do really exciting things within the tech space and EVs, like a crossover of both, and they do tend to join quite quickly. Tell us about the manufacturing process. I presume it's not a production line. I'm, I'm, I'm presuming it's a much more bespoke manufacturing methodology than that, more artisan skills as opposed to mass production skills. It's handmade, yes. Other than the welding, a lot of the computer tech, uh, painting, final assembly, quality control, all of that is done by hand. What's the price range roughly for your bikes, Linus? It starts from 1800 for the for the entry level and for the top flagship, it's 2500 and then accessories. That's quite a lot of money. How have sales been during this cost of living crisis? It's been on an increase because of diesel and petrol costs a lot more. And we find ourselves as an alternative to cars and even larger EVs, which is essentially a smaller EV. Uh, sales have been climbing continuously because it's either uh, the pandemic or people want to be electric and green um, or the fuel prices rise or the council pushing out all the cars out of city centers. Even if you're a large EV, you get pushed out because all of the cars are being pushed. A lot of your branding, a lot of your messaging isn't just about the, the beauty and the aesthetics and the design imperatives of what you do. It's also about the range of your bikes. You must have implemented some pretty interesting battery technology. And how do people charge the bikes? Can you plug them into a regular domestic plug socket or do you need to go to a car charging point? Originally, you did have to uh, use a car charger. That was on the early prototype. But the easiest thing is the same as your laptop as a MacBook. You just plug it in at home. Because we, when there's a direct to consumer- Or at work. Anyway, essentially, yeah. Um, as a direct to consumer brand, we saw all the big problems that normal brands would not address. So range anxiety was there, uh, smart lights, the design of it, none of it was there. The customers would tell you what they want. And then that way, at Essex, we'd be able to implement it quite quickly. So charging is now just plug it into the wall, it's fast charge, and in a couple of hours you're up to speed. So how far can you go on one of your bikes? Presumably it's a combination of pedaling and power, yeah. uh, electric power. In theory, how far could you go? The entry model is 40 mile range and the top flagship model is 100 miles. On one charge? Yes. And how long does it take to charge? If you take the, the long range from zero to full, it's approximately five hours. Okay. Yeah. But just to top it up, it's a lot less than that. It's a lot less, yeah. No one really goes from zero. It's the same as yeah, with yeah, your phone. With a computer. Yeah. You yeah, just yeah. top it up. A lot of manufacturers we talk to here on the money are suffering from supply chain issues. You are manufacturing a relatively small but very complex product with lots of electronics, steel, um, all kinds of uh, materials, I presume from all over the world. Are these supply chain issues hitting you? Is supply chain inflation hitting you, Linus? Yes and no. On It started, yes, but the, the talent that we have on board, we diversify the supply chain. So that way you can have much better pricing. Um, it, I know a lot of automotive companies that, that we speak to and get a lot of inspiration from, they've been having problems with shortage, for example, chips mm. for all the motherboards. The semiconductors. Yeah, correct. Uh, but for us at this stage, not so much, only because I think we made the right decision in getting the right talent first before really expanding the company. Uh, and they're able to always find the right supplier at the right time. So for us, it's been it's essentially catching up with all of the production, not just a specific part. So the supply chain has been okay. 
How about prices? How about supply chain inflations? The cost of so many basic materials has gone up a lot. The cost of transportation, shipping stuff in containers from Asia yeah. and other parts of the world. You must be feeling those pressures and surely those pressures must be feeding into eventually your consumer headline prices. It is, yes. I think as a company, we took a lot of risk early on to develop really strong USPs. We built a very loyal customer base. When they essentially become part of the family, they're the early adopters and they really love the brand. When the price rises, you don't want to pass it on. So we eat the, the losses mm. uh, and we keep the price. And when there's a waiting list, which you've developed, you know, you, you, people order a bike at a price. You can't then say you've waited a few months for your bike and it's now going to cost you more. You can't really do that, can you? You don't, yeah. Short answer, yeah, you don't. So uh, if, if it ever does increase for us, we normally take it internally and we don't, the, the price stays the same for everyone. Now, tell us about this brand, WOW, spelled W-A-U. It stands for We Are Universal. Yeah. Where did the name come from? Everything started with an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. So we knew that EVs are taking place and essentially the same thing as mainframe computers going down to personal computing, same with EVs. And we saw a very large trend in America and China and Europe. Um, then we decided to do the crowdfunding campaign and then we just took all the feedback from everyone to build the vehicle to what people wanted. Um, and then the community gave the name because every time they would see it, we do call it a vehicle, um, but every time they would see the, the prototype on the road, everyone would always go, oh wow, it's a bit like if you drive a Volkswagen Beetle, as I used to, or, a, or an old Defender, as I currently do, you kind of flash when it's, it's pathetic. I know middle-aged men sort of signaling to each other. You flash each other as you go past. Yeah. Is it a bit like that with your bikes? Those who own them feel that there's a bit of a community thing going on? I would say so, yeah. Yeah, there, there's and, and it kind of anytime it's on a road, people always talk about it. There's a lot of word of mouth because of the design and the lights. Uh, there's a lot of attention that go to it, but the community essentially gave, the, the customers gave the name to the brand. Do you know roughly how many WOW bikes are out there right now? Will I be seeing them on the road if I now I'm going to look out for them? You will in London. It's very heavy in London. Um, I don't know if I can give the exact number, but it's... Are we talking thousands, hundreds? Uh, we are thousands, yeah. And okay. Internally, we have to triple the production volume year every year. That's pretty good, seeing as you only started in 2018. You've had a pandemic, obviously lots of setbacks, global economic turmoil. To have thousands of bikes on the road, you must be pretty chuffed. I, yeah, I, I can give you a number, which is by 2024, we have to get to 20,000 units on the road, actively being used. I keep thinking of Brompton because Brompton yeah. started out as, uh, and it's good to see you smile and your eyes lit up there as I mentioned it, it started yeah. out as a kind of kooky little company, a uh, bit of a cult, these weird fold-up bikes. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's absolutely massive. Um, is that the vision for, wow, how big do you think this can get? And are you thinking of producing elsewhere, moving beyond your single factory? It's inevitable, yeah. It's... Um well, I mentioned before, we learn a lot from Polestar uh, and a lot from Tesla. Uh, some bits are from Nissan as well, but we see that there's no way we could cater the entire global industry with one factory in Essex. So natural expansion is into EU and then US from New York side, not Los Angeles. So what is the vision here, Linus? How big could this get? All of us at the HQ, we, we, we're very ready to make this into a global brand. Uh, there's a lot of challenges. Uh, we call them hackathons. So 100 hour work weeks is standard but a uh, global brand is the only way. There's a lot of people that want the product uh, and we're at the moment limited to how much we can produce, but that's only within the UK. As soon as we hit Germany, the Germany is another massive market and US is inevitable. 
How many people do you employ now? At the moment, it's 18, but we have another set. That, that's essentially more on the marketing side. The manufacturing is also separate, but hiring another seven at the moment, all full time. And that's only on the marketing and distribution and... More front end of the company, yeah. But how about the manufacturing or is that all contracted out or how does that work? It's an incredible partnership that we have. Uh, it's fluid where we pull, the, the larger the production gets, um, we just keep putting more people onto the line. I see. Yeah. But we didn't want to own the entire real estate because as a young company, that's millions of pounds on just allocating to the factory. And talking of your balance sheet, how are you funded, Linus? Who owns you? Uh, have you had to raise money? Are you looking to raise money now? Yes. So everything started with an Indiegogo crowdfunding round. Yeah. That was a Kickstarter. We as founders bootstrapped. So we used our own savings from very humble beginnings. Um, that was the first round. Then we went into the second round of uh, angel investors, all British, all around the UK. Then we recently completed the third round with angels. And now we're, gonna, we're essentially transitioning into venture capital. So how was that experience using angel investors? Because some other existing and budding entrepreneurs may be thinking of doing that. How is the angel investing community here in the UK? These are basically wealthy individuals. Sold their previous companies. Yeah. Looking for to put in little dabs of money here and there, yeah. largely on gut instincts and with people who they they feel that they can believe in, right? Yes. Seeding, yeah. For early stage, high risk, but they do then see the reward. I wanted your impression as somebody who's come here from overseas at a young age, obviously made your life here. You're hugely successful. You're building a business that's clearly a lot of, got a lot of potential. Yeah. So I think your perspective of the kind of the ability of British entrepreneurs to raise money from angel investors would be valuable. The Silicon Valley in California get most of the attention, media, press, and funding. Europe and UK took time to catch up. In England, there's a, there's a thing between entrepreneurs where you have to, in America, you pitch for, for, to get the capital to grow. But in UK, you have to pitch just to be accepted into the room, then pitch. Mm. So it's a much harder process. Angels are essential because if you're going to develop something, you do need startup capital. And the fact that the angels in UK, they, they got up to speed a lot faster. They understand the risk, but also the reward. And they understand now that there's a lot more tech, not just in, in America, but now transitioning into UK. And more and more tech engineers, tech founders, tech brands uh, arrive or are born in England. So the mindset is much easier to have a conversation to say we're taking risk. The community is there. Everything that we need is there. And the future is there and they're much more willing to accept the risk it's interesting to me though because you know obviously your product is a, is, a, is a highly sophisticated product but you're building bikes right you're not yeah, launching yeah. a dot com or not coding and you know you're not a sort of bloke with a beard and funny shoes who can't talk to people you're not a tech entrepreneur per se you're building bikes yeah and yet there's angel money that you've found and and that's what i'm trying to get at what's your message to other entrepreneurs mm -hmm. Can, you know, it's, it seems to me it is possible to raise money in the UK from almost nowhere. If you've got the right message, if you're determined, yeah. if, you're if you're a plausible person with a believable business plan, yeah. but you were pitching to angels, you already had a business up and running that you already put a lot of your cash and energy and effort into. There wasn't a lot of cash, by the way. It was university savings. Oh, okay. yeah, people just normally would spend it themselves, but we put everything into the brand. Wow. Uh, so it, it genuinely humble beginnings. We weren't pouring sure. something we didn't have back then. Um, but you had something for the angels to touch and smell. It wasn't just a piece of paper with an idea. You'd already started a business. 
Correct, yes. And the vision itself, because the bike is only one of the three products. So the bike is the EV platform that we build on, that that's where the computers are and everything else. But every battery that we use, let's say if you buy one of the wild bikes, you use it for two years, the battery itself gets repurposed in the way that Tesla power walls do. So the, the battery packs that we use, they're proprietary to us, and we use them as Legos to link them together for power storage. So then for solar farms and wind farms, when the sun is shining, normally the city doesn't need much power. Mm. The sun panels have to capture the energy and then they will be using our energy cells to store it. And then at nighttime, when you need to feed London or Birmingham, um, then you draw from the power source, from the battery power. So for us, the wild bike is the first product and the energy storage is the second. So this is a renewable energy company as well as a, a, a iconic bike manufacturing company is a good combination correct yeah yeah it's not it's not just the bike itself there will be also energy storage yeah and our final question linus we often ask this to people who appear on the money what is your advice to budding entrepreneurs people who are sitting here watching you thinking that they could run a business what's your pithy message to them Th there will be two points the first one is persistence slash resilience it's very important. Most people have an idea, but it's all about the execution. Ideas are everywhere. Um, and the second part is don't be, or essentially what tends to work really well is if you don't see it as a lifestyle business or that you are the decision maker, you are the one that has all the answers. Essentially, you're a hiring company. So as a founder, always see it that you need talent. You won't be able to do it yourself. You always fall in for the trap that I'll do accountancy, I'll do marketing, I'll do manufacturing, I'll do investment round, I'll do everything. But all you need to do is essentially become obsolete yourself. If you have a room of 100 or 1,000 people, talented, really hungry people, then they will do a 1,000 times better job than you can. Most entrepreneurs, they're thinking solo. I'll do everything myself because I know best. Most likely you don't. Uh, and then when you introduce incredible talent into your team, that's what counts. That's what the customers will see. That's what the shareholders will see. That, and you'll generally be proud because when you get gray hair, you retire. The only thing that will last, even when the product changes, would be the brand. So as a founder, you will pass away. And if you did it right, then there's a legacy team that will go far beyond your wildest imagination. Linus Bezerkis of WOW, WAU, we are universal. A pleasure having you here Thank you very much. on Money Talks. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening to Money Talks with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you're listening. Do subscribe to this podcast and also check out my daily television show, On The Money, at 1pm Monday to Friday on GB News or via the GB News app. GB News, Britain's news channel.